Welcome to On The Block with Richard Stone. Richard is a 40-something construction company owner based in the UK. His passions are technology, business automation, customer experience, and helping other small business owners using his own valuable life and business experience. This podcast will be a mixture of solo spots, casual conversation, as well as inspirational key people of influence from their respective fields. Make yourself comfortable and enjoy listening. Here is your host, Richard Stone. So this morning we've got Jules White on our podcast to talk all things UHP. We're not going to talk about the sales word because... There's a, there's a different version of that these days, isn't there, Jules? But um, we're gen- a general conversation about the work that Jules does and her unique human proposition and her human conversation podcast. So un- in the same, as, same way as all our other podcast episodes, we've got some questions to kind of get to know you a little bit. Um, and so the audience can kind of learn a little bit about who and what and um, how makes Jules. So how are you feeling? Nervous? Apprehensive, maybe? Well, I'm not nervous, um, Richard, A, because you're such a lovely host, but um, also because obviously I do know you a little bit and I I do my own podcast and I just love this. This is like just having a chat, isn't it? It's lovely. Exactly, it's what it is. is. Everybody, some people kind of think, oh no, it's all really serious and it's all technical and it's really not. It's just two two people having a call and having a chat. So, you, I have to say... That, and this isn't a question, it's a statement. You, I think you probably have the best role title that I have ever seen anywhere, ever. <laughs> Would you like to share with us what you, what you refer to your role as being? Um, well, it depends which one, Richard, because I use a few. <laughs> um, would it be Dragon Slayer? Maybe. But I think there's one that's got a few more words in than that. that starts, have, with a, starts with a... I'll, I'll tell you what, what I saw on your, one, of your, one of your emails was Chief Inspirational Officer. <laughs> and yeah, that so just sums up everything that, that you stand for, I think. But certainly that I've seen of your work and your podcast. Yeah, well, thank you. I think the thing about that is I put that on a while ago when I first started the business because I didn't want to put one of these boring job titles on. So I thought, well, what can I be? Um, obviously, I'm a CEO officially of my business, but um, Chief Inspiration Officer just felt like it was the right thing for me and my message. Mm. So, yeah, yeah. And that's probably why I didn't think of it straight away, Richard, because I just I put it on there a little while ago. It's been a while, but, yeah. Yeah, but yes, yeah, it's, it's still there and I still stand by it, absolutely. Cool. We'll come back to the Dragon Slow bit in a minute. That's something <laughs> that I do want to talk about. Um, so, what are the other questions we've got? So... First question is, what did you want to do for a job when you were a child? Okay, well, there were a few things. I think when I was a child, I I grew up in a sweet shop because my dad ran the local news agents on the precincts of shops, my fabulous dad. So I guess I always just wanted to shop. And if I'm really honest, that would probably be something in the future. It would be that dream little thing still to have, you know. Um, So I guess, sorry. The box to tick is something that you want to do. Definitely a box to tick. Um, so, yeah, I think just watched him and saw how much joy he sort of brought to his customers, his charisma, 
the the energy in the shop there were so many things about it I just loved being there so that was definitely something but I think when I got a bit older some of the things I thought about doing was things like I wanted to be an air hostess oh wow okay well yeah because I I wanted to wear the uniform because they looked so pretty you know and um, in those days we had to be a certain height Mm -hmm. to be an air hostess and it was five foot seven and I was five foot five. So would you believe I couldn't be an air hostess? Oh, wow. Can you imagine that today? <laughs> it's probably a very different proposition these days, I think. It is, isn't it? So I guess mm. those are the two kind of key things growing up, you know, as that sort of little girl and thinking mm. of the things I'd like to do. Um, they the, were the two things, yeah. They're both very public facing, though, aren't they? They're both kind of a serving service kind of industry where it's human interaction with people. Yeah, um, and I think that's probably so it's quite interesting that actually that's what you do now but actually even as a child you'd almost recognized in yourself that that you wanted to do a role that kind of focused on that yeah. and I think that's that's really interesting because a lot of children wouldn't wouldn't necessarily be aware that that they wanted to do something because it fitted with how they wanted to, to sort of work in in life so yeah I mean I think I've always I've always loved people Richard and and again going back to just watching dad you know he was just such a role model for me and and when you see somebody interacting with people and creating so so much joy and it's so much fun all the time because that's what it looked like Mm. to me I thought oh I like that I can imagine you know so I can imagine and leaving people leaving with a smile on their face that must be a really nice positive feeling to be able to create that for other people so yeah cool okay so next question favorite famous person okay this was tricky because there's obviously a huge amount of famous people out there but um, I absolutely love music okay so um, I have a passion for music I play clarinet I play saxophone um <laughs> my <laughs> your face wow. and that's <laughs> one of the things on my bucket list that is to love to play sax yeah sax so, and um, piano. yeah and, and i play piano but it's because i can read music my son plays piano and has never had a lesson and he's just magnificent so we, we're a very musical house so i'm getting on to telling you why i love this person he's called hans zimmer Some people might not have heard of him, but he's actually um, a film score producer. So he writes and produces the music that we hear in some of the most famous films that we've watched. Um, So some of the films he's done are The Lion King, um, Gladiator. That's a good score, The Lion King, yeah. Interstellar. Um, and also, um, what was the other one I wrote down? Oh, Pirates of the Caribbean, which were just wonderful film scores, if you ever mm, saw those. Yeah, I've, certainly he, two of the four I've seen. So. He's done a huge list more than that, but he's just very inspirational to watch. His music is just wonderful. So I think he's one of my definite favourite celebrities, yeah. <clears throat> okay, that's good. That's one we've not had before, so that's quite interesting. All right, so moving on then, three things from your bucket list. Okay, bucket list. Um, well, Australia is the first one because I've never been to Australia and I just think it would be very cool to, to go. Um, it looks amazing. Mm. Uh, the second thing would be that I would, um, this is a bit creepy, corny, whatever you want, but I would like to meet someone. I've been on my own for 10 years and I just would quite like to meet someone that I can share my life with. So that's okay. got to be on my list. Um, and the third one is I, I want to live by the sea. And it's almost like I don't really mind where that is, but I just love the sea. Okay. <laughs> um, 
So in England or further afield, you're not you're literally not fussed at all about geography, or I'm not too fussed about geography. I think obviously Sam is only fifteen at the moment, mm, so yeah. but for now, if it was a case I could do it next year, it'd probably stay in this country. Um, but who knows? Who knows where I might end up, Richard? I'm but you work you work with clients all over the world, don't you? So that's, yeah. that's not necessarily travel isn't really an issue for you, is it? Because no, the right. work I, the work I do is is um, portable, if you like. Yeah. You know, I can actually work. Good way to describe it. <laughs> yeah, it is. Okay, right. So next question then: three things for room one hundred and one. What are the things that you would like to see the back of, excluding okay. COVID nineteen? Because that would be an easy one. It would be an easy one, actually. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll not say that one. Um, old school sales training, Richard. It's, I've got to say it, haven't I? I've got to say it. It's still out there. We're still teaching people scripts and uh, process-driven transactional selling. So I'd love to put that in room 101 so that we never see it ever again, that it's banished and big fines and prison can be involved. <laughs> I think it it'd probably needs to be quite a bit more, more of a warehouse, I think. Than the room. <laughs> it probably um, would. Particularly given that it's still being talked today. So. Yeah, yeah. So that's one. Um, this is a little bit of a difficult one, but I want to I wanna put it in there, but motorbikes. And that's mainly because I had um, quite a serious accident when I was in my early 20s, which was fatality um, and it was because of a motorbike um not um, that's not a blame thing but it's just I, I just have this real desire for a, nobody to ever get on a motorbike again you know so mm. I think that would be definitely something I would yeah. want to put in my my room yeah. 101 obviously um, really personal to you that yeah and, uh, and pain, painful and personal long time ago and obviously I've done huge work on it and it, you know all good in that respect but it never leaves you that stuff. Mm. And, and so I'm always just, you know, when I see a motorbike, I'm always a bit like, Oh, please don't, don't get on it. And it's just me. It's a caring side more than anything. Um, and then the last one you'll love, um, the media. I currently would like to put the media in room 101. <laughs> yeah. I, could, I, I wouldn't disagree with you. I don't, I don't think there's a media outlet that is actually really got a grip of reality and the truth. And, I mean, obviously, we are in the middle of the C word epidemic or pandemic. And I just find it, I mean, I've switched off to most media, to be honest. I, I do watch the briefing every day. Um, and I think they're doing an absolutely stellar job. I don't, you know, I, I don't think, I don't think there are people alive in the, in the position of being an MP or someone with clout outside of business that could do a better job than the team we've got there right now. Yeah, I totally um, agree. Totally and I agree. think some of the questions that they're being asked by people from media outlets are just, it's clearly just somebody just dumping brain farts because there was no, there's, <laughs> I like that word. I love that word. <laughs> but there is no, there is no value in actually asking the question. There's no, there's no value in, in asking that person's opinion on it because it's just utterly pointless. It's really? Yeah. And I can't be the only person that says something. Did you really just say that? You've wasted oxygen and brain power thinking that question. Yeah. So yeah, I would agree with you. I just think you know they need to be left to get on and do what they're doing, do yeah. do a good job and carry on the way they're going. I've actually got to the point now where all my news apps are deleted. I watch the live uh, conference every day mm. on the BBC. And now when the media questions come on, I switch it off. Yeah, we just I'm... mute it. Yeah. I'm done. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's pointless. what I need to know is is said in that conference. That's how I feel now. So that's my commitment to making sure that I 
do know what's going mm. on. But equally, then I come back into my house. I stay safe. I, I do all the things that we're all doing at home. Um, and I, I just try and do the best I can and stay positive. Richard. That's all any of us can do, isn't it? So. You know, we, we, we are in... I mean, I, I don't work from home all the time. I'll probably work from home two days, two, two and a half, maybe three days a week. So every week's different. Um, and I'm finding it quite challenging being at home five days. I know you, you work from home quite a bit when you're not actually out face to face with clients, don't you? Yeah, but even yeah. so, it, it's, it's still a change. It's still yeah, I think getting the, used to. The change for me is obviously I've got Sam at home. So Sam, again, he's 15. Um, what he's done is he's, uh, I've allowed him to make his own routine. And I honestly think this is worth saying because there's a lot of us have got our children at home mm. at yeah. the moment. I know it's only relevant for now if you're listening few months on you'll probably smile at this but we need to give them their own space to make their own routine I think when they're a little bit older like Sam yeah. because if I just enforce you're up you you get ready you sh you know he's just gonna turn around to me and go mum just just leave me and um, whereas this way he came to me yesterday Richard and he said mum uh, I just thought I'd let you know, I've put all the times in my diary that would be my normal lessons times. I'm going to take my breaks where I would normally take my breaks. You know, And I just looked at him and I thought, you little darling, because you've come to that. I didn't force that yeah. upon you. So yeah. he's been brilliant, but I, I still have this. He is here and I need mm. to make sure I look after him. Sort yeah. of thing. So that's mm. interesting. Because hasn't, hasn't he got asthma? Did I yes. mean? I yeah, mean, he, he mentioned somewhere, yeah. Yeah, he's asthmatic. Um, the last time we were hospitalised with him, he was young. You know, he was seven, the last one, and then right. before that, he was three. So he's got it under control. But, of course, we don't know what this virus is. Um, and I would hate to think that if I exposed him to it, he would then be very poorly, if, mm. if not worse. So I'm being really cautious. <laughs> so yeah, I don't think you can be too cautious, can you? No. no. Okay. Right, so... Right, where did we get to? So we've done three, three things for Room 101. Right, so famous people then. So if you had to go for dinner or could go for dinner with a famous person, who would they be? Where would you go? And what would you eat? Because you're not a particular foodie, are you? No, I'm not a foodie at all. I'm, my mum, God bless her, was a great cook, but she cooked us proper English, British meals that were quite mm -hmm. bland, no spice, you know, because my dad wouldn't eat any spice. Um, so I wasn't ever really brought up on this, um, you know, um, I don't know the, the best word really, but I wasn't brought up on food that was adventurous, this adventurous yeah, yeah. way mm -hmm. of eating. Yeah. So my favourite, my favourite celebrity, actually my crush, is Ewan McGregor. I adore him. Um, he needs to just come and marry me, really. That's the long and short of it. Um, I just think he's delicious. So he would be my dinner guest, right? That was easy. Um, you're going to like this. Now, the, where I'd eat would actually be on a beach. So imagine Shirley Valentine okay. and your yeah. table. And <laughs> That's your what just went through my head, the boat. We would be on a beach, um, just alone, uh, watching the sunset go down and the sea trickling in. That would be amazing, right? But this is where you're going to laugh because do you know what we'd be eating? <laughs> Sunday roast. <laughs> you can't beat a Sunday roast. It might be cold by the time you got it there, though. Yeah, but if I was with you and McGregor, I'm not sure I'd mind really, Richard. Yeah, I don't think I don't think you'd be eating it, would you? 
You could go to Cornwall or somewhere nice in the summer, maybe. That'd be, yeah. You could still get Sunday roast there. I'm not yeah. sure that's quite Shirley Valentine. <laughs> not quite, is but it? We are the enjoying thing, some nice temperatures right now. So This weekend, I think it's going to be really quite hot, they're saying. It's meant to be so good, isn't it? All I need really then is uh, Ewan McGregor, and he just needs mm. to be in my back garden and not on a beach. Yeah. So I'm And he needs to ditch his levers and not turn up on a motorbike. Well, oh, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's got to go in room 101. He might not like that bit, to be fair. But, um, but once he's met me, Richard. <laughs> Small price to pay. Small price to pay. So, okay, so moving on then. So you've mentioned a couple of your hobbies, but what is your, what's your favourite pastime or hobby? Oh, it's, it's tricky because I was sporty. I was sport mad, you know, I always have been. And there came a point where I had to stop because I had a knee injury. So I played hockey. I played uh, right. hockey at, at quite a competitive level. And so that was a shame because then nothing ever really replaced it, if that mm. makes sense. But I like golf. I play golf. I'm a decent golfer when I can get out and play golf. Um, and I love walking. And I mean, like, power walking as opposed yeah. to just sauntering. And I've done like a couple of the marathon length type walks for charity, which I love because it's proper challenging. Mm. Um, I mean, I know everybody thinks running's challenging, but walking long distances is, is really challenging. Mm. It takes its toll. So I'm kind of, that's a bit of a hobby. I'm hoping to do more of that. Obviously out the back of this and we can come out again into the world. I'd love to do a couple of real uh, 50, 50 kilometer, 100 kilometer walks. That'd be amazing. I'd love that. 100 k as well. Yeah, that's no, that's no short distance, is it? That's quite <laughs> interesting because, and it's interesting you say that because one of the things that you're big on is mindset, and that must play a massive part in that kind of. That, yeah. You know, I mean, I've I've read some stuff from different people, but one of the things that the books that I think I will never forget reading was David Goggins's book, The American. You can't hurt me. The, the American Ultra Runner. Oh yes. And, and yeah. he talked, and he says it. You know. When he went from being like 300, I think it's 300 pounds, down to being an absolute machine. I mean, his body fat is just, his bloke's just ripped. He's mm. just a drop dead gorgeous looking guy. And he says that it's more about actually sorting out your head yeah. and working out actually how you can overcome your mental challenges than it is the physical stuff. Because you can, you can get to the point where you're physically fit enough relatively easily with determination. But the hardest part is overcoming the mindset that you've had enough you've done 20 k's or you've done 110 k or whatever however much you've done and it's about actually kind of reframing your mind and looking at stuff for a different filter so how do you feel about when you've done some of those longer distances how much of mindset does it play apart for you massive um the first one i did was the moonwalk through london which was um 27 okay. miles yeah. um, and we started we start at midnight so of course you're not only walking a long distance but you're walking when your body should be asleep so your body's saying, what are we doing here? Sorry, why? You know, and, and it is, that is a challenge, definitely a challenge. So one of the things I think with that, and then the second one, by the way, was um, the Cotswolds Mighty Hike. So very different in the daytime, mm. but actually up and down hills. Yeah, different so train completely. Same distance, yeah. yeah, same distance. And what I found most, I think, with both of the challenges was not looking ahead for the finish line because mm. it's so far away. Um, actually, it's just that one day, one day at a time stuff, you know, the one, one little bit at a time. Yeah. I'll just make the next mile. Yeah. I'll just do the next mile. That's the way I do yeah. it. Um, and do you know what? It so relates to the situation we're in now. 
massively in that we need to do this one day at a time because everything changes. You don't know how your body's going to feel tomorrow. So actually mm. you wake up and you deal with each yeah. day. And that's the same when you do any of these challenges, I think, exactly the same. So Yeah, it's really interesting because that, that is exactly right. You know, every day is different right now. The world is changing. I mean, I, I had a message from um, the CEO of a charity I do some mentoring stuff with yesterday, a couple of days ago, I think because um, we're looking at, the, at taking that to another level soon. Um, and that was one of the things she put in her order. The opening part of her message was, the world is no longer the same world as it was when I last spoke to you. Yeah. How are you? And I thought, what a lovely way to open a message to someone. But how poignant and how true. Um, and it, it does, it changes every day. I mean, we've had, so I work in construction, as you know, and we've had um, different sort of guidance and different advice. And, they're now on the third practice note from the CLC council this morning. And it's, it was out for three hours and they retracted it because they realised that actually the guidance that they'd put out meant that if you took that out of the construction arena and put it into the medicine arena, surgeons couldn't work, nurses couldn't work, nobody could work under these constraints. It was just utterly ludicrous. Yeah. You think, you know, these are really, really senior people with a lot of collective intelligence, a lot of knowledge and a lot of experience. And even they can't get it. Like, so every day it, every day is different and that's yeah. hard it's hard to stay positive sometimes I it think is it hard. is it is kind of just a right what yeah. what am I focusing on today what am I going to achieve today and I think that's that's the way to get through it somebody um posted something today actually and and I can't remember the exact words but it was along the lines of you know how do I stop these negative thoughts okay um, and she answered and she said, well, you don't stop them. You just change how you feel about them. Mm. And it was really interesting because I think sometimes we're trying to change who we are and, and be a different person and, and wake up tomorrow, mm. this new person who does new things mm. and delivers their businesses in different ways. Yeah. But, but actually, that's not what this is about. No. This, is, this is about still being us because that's our UHP, which you mentioned earlier, that's our uniqueness. But gently saying, how can I do that slightly different? Or what skills do I have that I can now use here? That's a totally different approach because the other one is complete overwhelm. Mm. And suddenly then you get paralyzed with it, yeah. you know? And you won't achieve anything. I mean, some, one of the guys on my group mentoring call this morning said that. And, like he'd sort of written a list at the beginning of the week and he'd have 70 things on it. He was like, I haven't achieved any of it. Yeah. Well, you're not going to. Just focus on like three or four things to do today and make sure that they're done. Yeah. And there's no excuses. Get shit done. Yeah. Get stuff done today and then tomorrow you can have a new list. Just get stuff done. Don't start becoming overwhelmed by having so much stuff to do because you'll never, you'll never achieve it. I mean, I've got four things to do today. One is interview you. And then I've got, um, I've already been out and done another one of them, which was some site visits. And then I've got to do some audit, some editing um, of audio this afternoon. And I'm like, okay, because now I know that, right, okay. And that's why I got up early and went out to site. Because I was like, right, I've achieved something. I've got to my first thing. I've done that. Brilliant. And it, it just totally reframes how you actually feel about the day. So yeah. I think that's, that's really interesting that actually you took that approach with the, with the kind of sporting activity. Massive, yeah. Massive. Does, um, it's massively the same. It really is. So, next question. Favourite holiday destination? Where, where have you been that you would love to go back to? Or where, where have you kind of got your heart set on going? So, I, um, I've never been adventurous travelling as much as I've never been adventurous with my food, Richard. It's a bit dull, really, isn't it, when you think about it? But this um, 2016 
uh, after my dad had died, uh, he told me to go and have a beautiful holiday and I went to St. Lucia. Um, oh, wow. And this was huge. I went on my own. It was a big journey. It was eight and a half hours on a plane. It was really scary. Mm, it was just the most wonderful place and the most wonderful experience. So I would in a heartbeat go back there tomorrow. It was just a fabulous place. So yeah, that would be my place. Mm, sounds lovely. I've not been. I've, I've only ever heard good things about it, but I've mm. never been. I'm not. I'm not a terribly adventurous um, holiday person either. I've been to the same place for. Well, we didn't go away last year, but for, for three or four years, we were at the same place every. Yeah, yeah. I, was I know. Like I know where everything is. And it's yeah, just I know where so. I'm going. So yeah, safe. So, <laughs> I think I know the answer to this next question, but I'll ask you anyway because you might surprise me as you have done previously. What makes you What makes you proud? It was a hard one because actually I think there's more than one thing really, mm. Richard. But the first thing I wrote down when I looked at your questions was my son. Mm. Um, so I guess really I have to um, go with that as my real first instinctive thing. Um, it makes me proud that I've managed to bring up such an amazing young man, really. And I think it was against adversity a lot mm. of the time. Uh, it was on my own a lot of the time, albeit he did see his dad, by the way, mm. that's, that's not that he hasn't mm. had his dad in his life, but just as the mum, I've probably been that key person in his life. Um, so I've always had to show him the way, always had to show him the positivity. You know, it's, it's hard, it's hard, um, mm. but he's, he's amazing. He's 15 years old and he's just, he's incredible, not just because he's mine, mm. he's just a, a really great human. So it does make me proud that I think together we've done that. Brilliant. It's certainly, I mean, I've not met him, but I've certainly, I've seen his work and it's, you know, he's a really talented guy. So you've clearly done something, right? <laughs> so, I mean, there's, I get that. I think there's also, you've, you've certainly had some massive, massive business ups and downs. I think that's one of the reasons that we kind of get on because I've also sort of had that sort of heaven and hell pain yeah. Of, being, of being sort of when I was MD of three firms at just before 30 and I'll never forget I had a phone call from there was a magazine I was living in Hertfordshire at the time and one of the businesses I ran was in Hertfordshire and they asked me if I'd be in some directory of like young aspiring people and I was like <laughs> uh, okay and I kind of let my ego get the better of me a little bit and I've never admitted this to anyone so it's a bit weird admitting it on a podcast but hey ho <laughs> um, and it did it, it's, it kind of inflated my ego a little bit but yeah I was doing well um, and then the bank banking crisis hit and like, within about three days we went from sort of hero to zero and literally yeah. and I ended up doing an IVA because I didn't have any choice because I'd used my own credit cards to put materials on sites and jobs. And I know you've kind of been from, you've had some massive successes. You know, I mean, Dragon's Den, there's not many people that, that do that. I mean, I went on The Apprentice um, and got down to the last 800 um, for The Apprentice in 2013, I think it was. Oh, wow, I didn't know that about you. <laughs> yeah, there you go. But you actually got to um, do a deal with the dragon. So talk to me yeah. about that. What did that? How did that work and how did that make you feel? Because that must have been a real roller coaster of emotions. Yeah, so I'm trying to make it a, a short uh, version because there's a lot to it. But it was 2005, so it was the second series of Dragon's right. Den. So it was really early, early mm. days for Dragon's Den. We'd watched the first series and we thought it was fabulous because we we always said look at those poor entrepreneurs 
squirming in front of those rich dragons and basically an application thing popped up on my computer and I applied so it was like well I couldn't have been that scared about the squirming entrepreneurs and I it was a joke if I'm really honest because I didn't think they'd even look but they were looking for participants and I just thought I'm going to tell them about my business because it was truly madly baby it was party plan selling baby products which nobody was doing And I said to myself, well, they need to know about this. This is going to be fabulous. Um, so, of course, sorry, I'm, if my thing went off. Um, and I thought, well, this is fabulous. So um, within two hours, I got a call from the BBC. And within two weeks, I was filming in front of the dragons. So, wow. Yeah, not, not really like it is now. I think you have to um, interview and everything mm. now. Um, literally, I was just in. That was it. One phone call and I was in. So maybe they were just topping up the last few for the series. But I went in. My business was just three months old, Richard. I'd turned over 2,700 quid, you know, and with six consultants doing parties. Um, and the Oprah Fetus and Peter Jones pitched for my business and, and pitched, pitched against each other. And I, when I look back at it, I think it's because they were trying to actually invest in me as opposed to the mm. business because they would yeah. have changed the business model. But I think they saw my passion and they saw my, my uniqueness and my, um, my passion around wanting to make this big. Well, the story mm. is that I didn't take the investment because the deal was a little bit rubbish. My sister said, don't sign the deal. And um, I shook hands with Peter on the filming. So uh, he was the dragon that I was going to work with. And then I took another investor on. But three years on from that, we were a million pound company, 432 consultants across the country doing parties. We had uh, global inquiries from America, Australia and Europe to take Truly Madly Baby Global. Um, It was phenomenal and very exciting. Um, I was absolutely knackered. I'd worked 20 hours a day, seven days a week with a small baby. And the business partner hadn't really supported and done the things that I think she could have done. And then we came to a point where we were actually uh, busier than we could cope with. We had no systems, no stock, no staff. Um, And so we were a victim of our own success. Next level of investment meant that she then wanted 75% of my business. Wow. Um, And it was very difficult because I'd grown it myself you know I was the one who'd grown it and made it what it was so why would I give that much away so I said no so she closed me down she put me into administration and she bought the business back the next day and I lost what, it so like a prepack then yeah so um mm. it was silent bids that you could put in to mm. buy the business because um to a degree it was still a viable business mm. but yeah. it just it was cash flow that was mm. the that had killed it uh, you know, the, the good old cash flow. Yeah. If, if there's a lesson to any people listening, cash flow is king. Cash is um, king, yeah. Massively. Um, and yeah, that was what what um, what happened. And she continued to run it as Truly Madly Baby Dragon's Den winner. And, um, uh, so kind of a little bit of a bit of a subtle, subtle name change, which is, yeah. yeah. No, happens, no, 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 no name change at all. Um, she couldn't change the, she didn't have to change the name because she just bought it. Right, okay. Oh, so it was bids for the original business. Right, okay. I put in two silent bids with zero on, so I think I pushed the price up a bit. Maybe we shouldn't put that one in the podcast. Maybe we'll edit that bit out. (laughs) So cash is king. 
I think that's probably the, the thing to take away from that. Are there any other lessons that you think? I mean, one of the things you sort of talked about there was a lack of systems and stuff. And yeah. I think that's one of the things that seems to be sort of, I think is what's going to differentiate people that, that are successful in this current time that we're in now. Um, and those that aren't is having those systems and trying to be, trying to do stuff in a systemized way rather than kind of everything, every, every customer journey is a new experience. They're all new and they're individual you still need to have systems and processes in place. Yeah. I think the other thing, Richard, is I think you need to work on the business and not in it sometimes. And I had worked in my business wearing every hat for three years. And yes, of course, I'd grown it and it was successful and it, it was great. But I was knackered. I had no vision for the future. I'd missed all of the things I needed practically to keep the business within that growth. Um, so, you know, this is our time now, yeah, right? Massively. This, this right now, you know, somebody said the other day, we've got three months off. We will never have three months off yeah. again, you know, mm -hmm. and it's so true. This is our time to work on our businesses and not in them in order I, to then yeah. come out the other side. I think that's the important thing is, and I, you're quite right. I've seen people saying, oh yeah, it's just like a three month sabbatical. And I'm like, no, <laughs> it's not a holiday. You need to use this time wisely to work on your business. And, that, and, and do you know, I was never even aware that that was a thing until I started on some mentoring programs about 18 months ago. Um, I was never, I didn't even think about it. I didn't think, I didn't think at that level. And it's really weird because I can't remember, I think it was when I was um, doing some coaching for my ILM course when I was operations manager probably about know, 10, 12 years ago now. Um, and we were talking about different levels of thinking. And I had to go back and, and basically write down the furthest I thought down the line at different levels in my career. And I remember saying, well, when I was a site manager, I used to think about what was happening in my job today, maybe like this week. When I was contracts manager, I was thinking about, right, well, okay, what's happening on that job, that job, that job, where are we at at the end of the month? And as ops manager, I was looking at like, what opportunities have we got coming in? But as business owners, we need to be kind of looking at the future, looking at actually what opportunities there are, and actually, and it is about working on your business and not in it. Because when you're too, too immersed in it, you don't know what's going on no. outside. And you're not looking at things objectively because you're too busy looking at the sort of the forensic details. So that's a yeah. really, really good point, actually. Yeah, it's my um, biggest advice, I think. If anybody wanted just a short, sharp one tip, it, that, that is it, most definitely. Okay, so... So mindset and positivity. So human conversation. Talk to me about your human conversation. Yeah, so I've been selling for probably 32 years now. Um, various things from stainless steel to yellow pages to knickers on a, a stool on the market. I mean, I kid you not. I've probably sold everything you can imagine. Um, and, and I love that because I've had a really great breadth of experience mm. in sales and selling. Um, my training I've had across those years has always been the same. The same training I put in room 101 earlier. Um, and then I would go out from that training and do not much about what they taught me and still hit my targets, exceed my targets and be really successful. So when I started this business in 2017, I sat down with it all and I thought, what was it or what is it that I do that's made me successful as a salesperson because it certainly wasn't uh, closing a deal, you know, sleazy, pushy stuff. It wasn't that. It, I know. It cringing at the thought of those horrible words. It makes you cringe, yeah. doesn't it? Mm. 
Um, what was it that I did, Richard? Well, I had human conversations. And so, of course, that was the kind of um, the overall phrase I often use. Is it just like meeting a new friend in a bar? Okay, you don't pitch up to that bar with a piece of paper and say, just a moment, I have some questions to ask you. You don't do that. You have this wonderful ability to intuitively have a conversation. It's a subconscious act. Mm -hmm. You don't think about it, it's just what happens. Yes, it happens easier for some people than others, but as humans, we've been able to communicate since we were babies. Children are the best communicators with their why, why, why. Yeah, um, and we have lost that ability to have human conversation the minute we train somebody with a script, mm. what they should say, and what process they should take this client mm. customer on that completely throws everything you about you out of the window. And so the human conversation is about getting you back to your subconscious skills that you already have in order to sell because life skills are sales skills. Yeah. That's, and that, that's certainly, I mean, some of the work I've done with you, that's quite apparent. And I think one of the things that I've picked up for, from working with you and also from other stuff that I've read is about actually the ability to sort of use stories and to talk to people about actually new stories to articulate what it is that you want to do. Because as businesses, we all need to, you know, we need money to flow. We need to provide services to different people. And it's about kind of how you can sort of articulate what your offering is to somebody and make it relevant to them and what, what, what their role is and how they work yeah. without it without it coming across as being really awfully in sales in you know i mean storytelling goes way back to sort of well, well hundreds and hundreds of years if not if not longer doesn't it i mean it's one of the original sort of skills that people are born with and yeah. i think as adults we tend to kind of i don't know it's people i don't know whether people see it as not necessary or i think it probably just gets drowned out in the noise of like traditional education and the kind of the, the curriculum that kids have to follow these days and then obviously people sort of move into business and sort of learn the skills and the, the other stuff that they need and it just gets forgotten yeah I think, I think one of the other things about stories that's really interesting is that stories um, are not about here and now today your stories are the ones you've gathered all your life mm. and, and, and that's the most interesting when you're doing storytelling work connected to your business you need to go right back to your childhood because every single story you have from way back then can connect to why you are who you are why you do what you do and how you offer your service it's incredible all those mm. connections and then the people go oh because it's, it's interesting yeah. i want to know what you were like when you were a child yeah. and that's why you do what you do today i can connect that it makes complete sense so stories are very very powerful it's what makes us, what's, what's that phrase? I can't remember, is it a Buper phrase that you love quoting about? Oh, yeah, like eight, eight billion kinds of unique, isn't it? Is it? And Have I got that are, right? There are seven billion types seven of billion. normal on the planet. I was, I was half right. It's wonderful. It's such a great, great it's phrase. A, it's a really good phrase, actually, yeah. and it's so, so true. Yeah. So, so to wrap things up then, three things. What three key nuggets would you give any business, small business owner right now? Okay, right now, uh, obviously, listeners, we're in the middle of this pandemic, so that's probably why I'm saying these things. But you can use these anytime, really. But the first one is breathe. Honestly, breathe. Stop. Just stop and look at what you do, 
what you've got, what your customers need right now. It's massive. Um, don't go start panic selling because that's what's happening and it's really ugly. So stop and breathe. That's the first tip. The second one is build. So now on that reflection and stopping, build. Keep building. Never stop building your business and going in the directions that your customers need you to go in within your skill set. Because you can't just suddenly magically wake up tomorrow and have new skills. So you've got to keep being true to what you can actually deliver. And, this, and the third one is, is always my tip, stay visible. Always stay visible. You've got to be out there in front of people, otherwise they won't know who you are. Brilliant, some good advice there. So, so if people did want to reach out and sort of either book a virtual cuppa, which I kind of is like a sort of a way for people to reach out to you in the first instance, isn't it? And um, what other ways can people sort of reach out to you and um, sort of find out a little bit more and find out how people can potentially look at working with you, Jules? So obviously my website is the main place because that gives you everything on there. And um, that's liveitloveitsellit.co.uk. Um, that's the brand. So if you search for that, you can probably find pretty much everything about me. But I'm on LinkedIn regularly and I've got a Facebook group as well, which is called Live It, Love It, Sell It. So I've stayed constant with the brand so that you can hopefully find me wherever you look. That's a really important point, actually. And I think I was listening to something from John Esperian the other day. And he, does he call it congruence? Is that right? I'm not yes. articulate yeah. enough. I think is it congruence? That's really a really important point, actually, to probably add to those really three great points you've made is that people need to be the same shape everywhere. It's no good being one thing on one platform, being something different everywhere, because yeah. people will just see straight through it. So. Yeah, exactly. So, okay, one last question, which is a real curveball. Um, you've obviously got your own podcast, which is really successful. What other podcasts do you, Jules White, listen to? Um, I've got a couple that I listen to that I just love. Uh, one is um, Gary V. Love him or hate him. Um, some people. He's very marmite. He's very marmite, mm. but he's he's got a really good podcast. I really enjoy listening to him. Um, and then I also know that Brené Brown, I think, has just started a podcast. Absolutely. So, um, I'm going to be absolutely listening to her because I think she's just wonderful. And then there's another guy called Angel Jones. Okay, so Angel is actually spelled E-N-G-E-L, I think. And I'll obviously give you the link, Richard. Yeah, I'll put it in the show notes. For Angel Jones is just, he's just wonderful. He's from the Caribbean, okay? And he does 12-minute convos. And so literally they are 12 okay. minutes. 12 minute snippets, but they're with people. And it's, it's just him asking similar questions to you, Richard, but then he does a short, sharp yes, no at the end that you okay. answer quite quickly. And it's just great. You get to really know a lot more about people. So I like those. I'll have to watch out for that. I might say, um, I've got quite a few that I listen to and I've kind of, it's kind of juggling, listening to them all whilst fitting in listening to audio books. So yeah. But um, I'm always a sucker for a good podcast. So that's great. Yeah, yeah. So thanks ever so much for coming in and uh, spending time talking to us today and getting to know you. And I look forward to seeing you at some point in the future soon. Perhaps thanks. maybe face to face. Yeah, thanks for having me, Richard. You take care and stay well. Thanks for listening to the On The Block podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. To find out more about the work that Richard does, please visit his website, 
www.stonecontracts.com. And if you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave a rating and review on the platform you use to enjoy his show. Thanks for listening and see you soon on the blog.